Uh, people who connected me with different connections gave me advice for free, spoke to me on the phone. I mean, you know, I think it once you start doing something, you realize how kind and generous other people are and how much they'll give you for free. It's just amazing. And you, and you just want to pay it forward. You want to do that for other people, too. So, you know, this build something mission of mine, again, has two parts, as you mentioned. And the first part is to to donate to rehabilitation centers and organizations that are helping people that are you know, homeless and getting off the street to have a program to get them back working and you know feeling productive about their lives. What's up, my friend, and welcome to Grit, Grace, and Inspiration. I am your host, Kevin Lowe. 20 years ago, I awoke from a life-saving surgery only to find that I was left completely blind. And since that day, I've learned a lot about life a lot about living, and a lot about myself. And here on this podcast, I want to share those insights with you. Because friend, if you are still searching for your purpose, still trying to understand why, or still left searching for that next right path to take, we'll consider this to be your stepping stone to get you from where you are to where you want to be. What's up, my friend, and welcome to episode number 233. Do you ever find yourself lying awake at night? It's 3 a.m. and all you can think is, oh my gosh, I do not want to go to work today. Have you ever thought, what would it be like if I owned my own business, where I made the rules, where I got to do something that I love, that I was passionate about, because I was doing something that called on my life's purpose? If that has been your thought process at 3 a.m., well, I want to invite you to sign up for my brand new, totally free, Unleash Your Purpose Driven Business. It's a free audio training. Five parts takes less than an hour to get through. You can binge listen to the whole thing or you can listen to one episode at a time. It's there for you delivered to your email's inbox. It's an audio training called Unleash Your Purpose Driven Business. You can sign up for this free audio training by heading over to gritgraceinspiration.com slash business. That is gritgraceinspiration.com slash business. Of course, that link is inside of today's show notes. That will make life any easier. So my friend, right in line with this topic of business, I'm in the studio with Nick Barrett. Yes. Me, your host, Kevin Lowe, is in the studio with another incredible guest. And today, it happens to be a guy named Nick. Now, Nick, he is the creator of a product called Cord Brick. He recognized the problem. And like so many of the best inventions that happen, it comes out of somebody trying to solve a problem. And I don't know about you, but I was just talking about that 3 a.m. mindset. Well, what about when it's 3 a.m., you reach over to grab your phone, you pull it off the nightstand, and then the cord falls to the floor. So now when you want to plug the phone back in, now you got to get out of bed. Now you got to fish down in between the bed and the nightstand to try to find that phone cord. And oh my gosh, you're like, there's got to be a solution. Well, Nick created a solution called Cord Brick. Matter of fact, I have one in my hand as I record, and it is one nifty little object. Super soft, rubber feeling, 
little product that he's going to tell you all about inside of today's episode, all designed to help you keep track of that pesky little cord. And well, that's just the start. Nick is here to share his story, not just about how he became the inventor of cord brick, but also his story of getting sober because Nick found himself as an alcoholic. And, you know, sometimes we have to hit rock bottom before we have an opportunity to bounce back. I remember I was in the car. My mom was driving me to rehab. <laughs> and I, I thought, you know, okay, like this is it. You know, this is kind of the end of the, this seems like the end of the road for me because I had in the back of my head, you know, known for years that I had had a problem and it was, it was unsustainable. I could just sense it. And I had screamed at myself in the mirror time and time again, when I was you know hammered out of my mind, this is the last night I'm doing this. Like, stop doing this to yourself. You're killing yourself. And then I would, you know, do it the next day all over again, you know, just get drunk. I mean, drinking was my, my problem as I, I've told you. And yeah, riding to rehab, I just remember thinking like, I don't know if this is going to work, but if it doesn't work, I don't know what I'm going to do. I mean, I, you know, it, it, again, it had been a problem for going on 12 years in my life. And, mm. you know, that was a moment where I have to say that I kind of threw my hands up. You know, I, I surrendered. You know, I, I, I knew at the time that I was headed for jail, pretty sure that I, you know, had a court date coming up and I, I had a alcohol ankle monitor around my ankle that was literally sending signals through this the device to something near my bed uh, to the police department. It was a receiver and it was like, Sensing the alcohol from the pores of my skin, which I didn't even know that that type of thing existed. But sure enough, I had to wear this thing for four months because I had gotten that third DUI. So this moment I'm telling you about was maybe two weeks after that third DUI and I was headed to rehab. So, you know, that was probably the key moment when, uh, you know, looking back, something changed. Wow, that's so powerful. So I have to ask for you to, to kind of back up for me and and share with me kind of what got you to this point. I mean, where did where did drinking become more than just a drink in, in full on alcoholism? <laughs> yeah. How, how much time do you have? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I mean, I've been telling the story for a long time uh, in AA meetings. AA is one of the things that, especially in my early days of sobriety, helped me understand that my problem was not a unique problem. You know, mm. as has been made quite public with the opioid crisis, you know, I don't, I don't think anymore that the name is Alcoholics Anonymous, right? That's what AA stands for. And but I actually think that today it's like. We don't need to be as anonymous as we used to be because it's it's a very common problem. And actually, as they say in the program, it's a thinking disease, not a drinking disease. So, yeah, I, I think there's plenty of different ways that people cope with feelings. You know, this is my six and a half year sobriety, you know, sober from alcohol, ten thousand foot view of the whole thing, right? I've got a lot of time to reflect on this all, but I, you know, I think that people find things that solve the problem in the moment and they start relying on that 
as a solution. That's certainly what I was doing. So I remember the feeling going back to your question of what started it. It was pretty much the very first drink. I mean, I remember that feeling, that warm, comforting, relaxing feeling of alcohol for me made it seem like I had arrived, that my comfort was finally there because I kind of had a, had a, you know, resonant, that resonant anxiety of just uncomfortable insecurity with me all the time. And when I picked up that first drink at age 16, I think I'd actually had had a drink at 15, but uh, didn't have access for a little while after that. It just felt great. It felt uh, freeing in a way to my mind. And, and, you know, again, having a lot of time to reflect, I was really letting my thoughts control my sleep, <laughs> my, my behavior, my reactions, the things that I was doing and the, you know, these, these odd ways that I was behaving were because I was sort of associating with this really negative self-perception of myself and just acting those things out in real life. And so it went on until I was about 30 and I had the experience that I, that I mentioned to you earlier. Wow. 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 So that, that answers my next question was, was how old were you when, when you finally went to rehab? I was drinking, um, you know, consistently from the time I was 18, essentially when I went to college and, and could get alcohol reliably. You know, I, I had in high school drank at every available opportunity. As soon as I discovered that how it made me feel at every party, I was, you know, insistent that I had to find a way. My other friends were not so insistent. My friend group even kind of, you know, ditched me in high school. And so I was excited to go to college to find a new group of friends that none of my current friend group was you know, going to. And so I did and went. And of course, I found a bunch of people that drank similar ways to me, not not as bad as me, most of them, not as often as me. So, uh, but it, it progressed over time. And so then, yeah, by the time I was 30, it had really progressed, especially after I had lost a girlfriend who had turned into a fiance for a period of time. And, you know, that kind of, that fell apart because as I've you know, as the cliche goes, I, I do believe that, you know, you can't really love someone else until you love yourself, at least not in a really healthy manner. So I did not love myself at the time. And she sensed that <laughs> and she got away. So that was, uh, you know, after that, I, I, I was at 25. And so then the next five years, I kind of progressed, uh, well, uh, slid into this de-accountability spiral where there was no one around to kind of keep my drinking in check anymore. You know, I was able to hold some jobs down and, but not, not for long because I got fired, you know, several times and, and just didn't seem to have a path at all. And, you know, had no real sense of self-esteem. So yeah, it kind of came crashing down, you know, when I was 30, you know, had lost a job and then, you know, my previous employer had actually supported me through a second DUI. And then kind of realized that my drinking was becoming a problem, fired me. And then I, I quickly in the next three months got a third one. And then, you know, that kind of seemed like the end of the road for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wow. 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 Now, when you finally decided to stop and you went through AA, what was that process like? Yeah. I had gone to a, a rehab facility in town named Hazleton. My folks live here in Naples where I am now. And there's a couple of rehab facilities in town. Actually, there's a great recovery community here. I went to one called Hazleton. Betty Ford Foundation runs the place. Then I started going to AA meetings. They recommended we go to you know meetings every as often as possible outside of 
their actual sessions, which were running during the day. And so I did that. Actually, my mom had come into the program a few years before that. So she, you know, she was going to a particular meeting, which I began attending. And then uh, shortly after that, started going to different meetings and meeting some of my own friend group. And turned out there was a number of young people, even though Naples is kind of a retirement community, as seen from the outside, there's there's a fair amount of young people here as well. And uh, again, there is a great recovery community with several you know, rehab facilities in and around town. And then just, you know, people that kind of have relocated, it seems like after that, uh, after their experience in, in rehab here. And so, yeah, that was my early experience. But AA helped me a ton. I was going to a, a lot of meetings early on. Honestly, it's with the action I've had today, I, I've I've slacked off a little bit in terms of my meeting attendance, but I still do go. Yeah, amazing, amazing. No, kind of segueing, you know, out of this, I, I want to get into the entrepreneurial side of your story. My my last kind of question that I have for you is, what do you credit to your success? Because I mean, even with the help of AA, so many people can't stop. They don't stop for whatever reason that is. What what do you think led to the fact that you were able to stop? It's hard to point to just one thing. Uh, it's a great question, though, because many people don't stop, and AA doesn't work for everybody. And you know, there, I don't really think that there's a one size fits all solution. You know, for and and it goes without saying that everyone has a different life situation, <laughs> and uh, you know, everyone's experiences are are their own. You know, the, the worst thing that's ever happened to you is the worst thing that's ever happened to you, right? So that is, that varies quite a bit in terms of especially children's experiences and how that affects them for the rest of their lives. I mean, it, it really helped me to have a supportive family and to have other people in my family that had been successful. I mean, you know, I, I felt pretty bad about myself in comparison to you know, my family members not having spent time in jail or not having received DUIs. But if, if someone in your family has, that doesn't mean that it's any, you should be proud of, of receiving, you know, one, right? So, but for, you know, for me, just looking up to just good role models in my family was tremendously inspiring and motivating for me. You know, I, I didn't want to let those people down. They, they had stood behind me. And so it really helped to have supportive people in my corner. I think that if you don't have supportive people in your corner or you don't have a big family, that's especially when groups like AA come in handy because I think as humans, we're social species and and we need to be accountable to other people. If I'm telling other people what I'm doing in my business or in my life, you know, today, I better do that. You know, I want to do that because I don't want to let those people down. I want them to know that I'm going to do what I say I'm going to do and I can be relied on, you know, because I, I, I want them to trust me and I, I want to trust them and I want to build that trust. So I think you've got to give it in order to receive it. Yeah. I love that so much. I love it so much that that support network, the family aspect, it's so powerful. You can build a, an, an AA family too. Yes. You know, there's, there's many great people. You know, I, one thing I would say is, you know, it doesn't have to be everybody that's there. You know, you, you can pick your group. You can pick, you can stick with the winners. You can choose the role models and then choose the people who are living in the way that you want to live. 
there's a lot of people in AA. There's a lot of groups. So if you go to one meeting, you know, maybe it's not the one for you. There's different styles of meetings. And so, you know, you, you can only have so many friends. I mean, the cliche is you're the summation of your five closest friends. I do believe that to be true. And it's only five because, you know, you only have time for a handful of people to really get that close to you and share that much with in your life and, you know, spend that much time giving back to. So, you know, I mean, some people it's more, right. But, uh, you know, you get the point. So you know, choose wisely. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So now at some point in time of this timeline of, of life, you had an idea for an invention. When did that fit into this puzzle that we're putting together? Yeah, great question, because it was actually in December of 2015, and I didn't end up getting sober until March of 2017. So uh, what would that be? Another year and a half or so later, I didn't end up stop drinking. And, I, and actually, I didn't end up doing anything with this idea of mine until 2020. So yeah, in, in December of 2015, I remember the day well, I was laying in my bed, you know, your phone charger, especially back in the day, they used to have those three foot long phone cords. That, and of course, they plug into the wall, which is, you know, halfway below where your nightstand height is usually. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so then, the, you know, the, the, the cord tip not weighted with anything would naturally fall in between my bed and my nightstand. And I would often have to get out of bed, you know, turn on the light or my phone flashlight and go searching under my bed and pick up my cord, plug in my phone, get back in bed. Then a few minutes later, I would you know, get another text and reach over and grab my phone and the charger would just pop out and bang on the floor again and you know, it repeat <laughs> the process. So then I'd be traveling with the cord. It would tangle up in my bag or just, you know, there was always a process I had to go through of putting them in a separate bag and... You know, so I thought, okay, I've got to be able to create some kind of brick or something that I can just put on my nightstand or put on my bed sheet and put my cord in. And then when I take it to go, I can wrap it around this thing and boom, I've got a cord management tool that solves my charging problems that I'm experiencing every day. You know, it, it to me, it's, you know, some people might say, your cord's falling, so what? But the thing that got me was this was happening every night, you know? Uh, so it was it was a repeatable thing that I thought, okay, it's worth a tool. You know, how much can this thing cost to make, you know? So I thought, okay, it, it's cheap enough, it's simple enough. And so finally in, in 2020, I did decide to, to do something about it. But it took me a little while. It took me some uh, mental clarity until <laughs> I decided I, I was capable. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So now from that original thought to what Cord Brick became, has it advanced? Did the idea advance? Or is what it is today really the exact idea you had that night laying in bed frustrated? Yeah, a good question. It's changed a lot. You know, now in my head, I do kind of think, okay, this is what it was supposed to be the whole time, but it took a lot of development to get to this point. It certainly didn't look like this. I mean, one thing you find out pretty quickly when you start developing a product is there's compromises you have to make between what you want to design and what is easily manufacturable or efficient to manufacture. So there's trade-offs, you know, just like everything in life. Yeah. Absolutely. So now talk to me exactly for the person wondering, okay, I don't get it. What exactly is it? 
Walk me through this this product, Cordbrick. What is it? What does it feel like? How big is it? What is it going to do for us? Yeah, and just because it, it stops following cords, right? Like, okay, so with Cordbrick, you could do several things. You know, so first of all, it's a weighted cord holder. So I've got a patent on the product, and that kind of is the first thing that tells you it's unique and it's a utility patent. And so it has a special design and shape and uh, aspect of the design that. It's brick-shaped, and it's got this sort of cylindrical weight in the middle, and it's got top and bottom holding channels, cord holding channels, and then it's got side-end wrapping and grabbing channels. So actually, the orientation of where the channels are placed around the brick is actually you know, for a functional purpose. So on top, you've got two cord holding channels that allow you to just kind of pop your phone charger right into easily, and then you can also remove your phone charger from there to kind of remove the cord if you want to keep using your phone while you're charging it. But the brick will sort of stay there. And then you can remove your cord and just pop it back in the cord brick to keep it in place. Now, what else does this do? It sort of clears the space on your desk or nightstand of cord clutter, as I like to call it, countertop cord spaghetti. So you can, because of the weight of cord brick, you can position it right near the edge. So the rest of the cord can kind of hang off the back or off the side of the surface. So you kind of clear and organize the surface. Additionally, the cord ends are all right in one area. So you don't have to kind of grab the middle of a cord and like string your way all the way to the end of it and then find out, oh, wait, this isn't the right end of what cord I'm looking for at this time. So from a cord holding and organizing perspective, it just makes your charging experience sort of seamless, right? Then the wrapping channels on the outside of this, the way I say it is snap, wrap, trap. And that works because when you pop in the charging ends of your cord to one of the wrapping channels, you can then wrap the remainder of the cord, however long the cord is, around the middle of the brick, which is where the weight is. And then you can pop the tail end into the other side of the cord brick. And so what you've done is you've trapped the bulk of the cord in between the tail and the end. What this also allows for is when you pop out the end that you wrapped last, so that plug end, the plug you would plug into the wall or the USB end, right? That end just drops straight out and it drops out untangled because if you can kind of rewind the tape there, what you did is you just wrapped everything over itself. And so by popping out the end, it actually comes out untangled every time and just in one second. So, you know, you don't have to, when you're traveling with a cord or multiple cords, even, you know, you don't have to spend time doing the untangle or take out from a bag and restring everything. It just comes straight out. So it's really efficient. So it works, you know, sort of at home and on the go. You've also got uh, some phone standing abilities meaning you can use those wrapping and grabbing channels. In particular, they're sort of like jaws, and they, they, they flex open. You can grab the corner of your phone, and you can stand it by itself at a 90-degree angle. You can even lean your phone up against something and use cord brick as like a stopper so it doesn't slide out to get a various angle on a camera for FaceTime or video chat or something like that. I actually just set my phone on top of cord brick because it like elevates the phone like an inch in the air, and... I don't know, when I'm like reaching over for my phone all the time, it just is a little bit easier to just slide my fingers right underneath it and have like my thumb on top or vice versa. 
than to like pick it up some, kind of by the sides, if you will, or try, you know, just dig your fingers underneath the, the phone sitting flat on the surface. So, you know, these are minor conveniences, you know, apart from one another, but together, you know, with the, with this one product, you're able to do so many things. And I think that's one of the reasons why, you know, I did win coolest product in $10,000 at National Retail Federation's 2023 show in January. Amazon even put me in this uh, little exclusive program they have called their Launchpad program, which is for unique clients from small businesses on Amazon. So yeah, it's got some notoriety and people are people are really liking it, buying more for themselves and kind of using them all over the house. So it works great as a gift because of all those things I mentioned too. Yeah, dude, I love it. It's, it's like... It's like a multi-use little brick for your phone. I love this. Now, how did you, I mean, it's one thing to have an idea for an invention like this, but how did you actually go about figuring out how to turn this idea in your head into a physical product and even getting the, you know, the financial, I imagine there had to be some massive financial backing behind it to, to get it to where it is. Talk to me about that process from idea to actually getting it in the hands of Amazon. Oh, my gosh. It would take all day. Um, <laughs> I'll give you the Cliff Notes version, though, it, because the product development process to me, this has been so much fun, but it's also very challenging. It's been surprising how much there is to learn. I was just talking with someone the other day who's thinking of launching a product, you know, something they were talking to me about. We searched and it was already on Amazon. I'll, I'll get to your question in just a second. But we searched and the product was already on Amazon. And they said, oh, um, th- you know, those products are great, but those companies just aren't marketing it the right way. And I thought, oh, my gosh, you know, if only it were that easy, <laughs> to just, just market the product better and people will buy it. Now, there's a lot that goes into from the design for manufacturing and making it so it's, you know, cost efficient enough to the you know, messaging and the words you put on the packaging, there's a lot to think about. So you know, at first, I just used modeling clay to kind of make myself a cord brick. But I quickly realized that it didn't have, have enough weight. You know, so we went to a manufacturer. The gentleman was in Tampa. I was attempting to make it in the United States at first. We added steel weights to it. The design that we did didn't work. We had some material problems with drying and thicknesses and so, you know, I, I made, you know, maybe a $10,000 error within the first year of manufacturing due to, you know, inexperience. So that took me almost a year to kind of figure out just some of the basic aspects. I finally went to someone who knew a little bit more about prototyping a silicone piece. And them and another person connected me with a manufacturer, a middleman, I should say because I didn't actually speak to the manufacturer. I just spoke to him and he spoke to the manufacturer. And then recently, this is my third year of business, I made direct contact with the manufacturer and finally am you know, with my own engineer talking to this, this supplier about how I want my product made and how many we're going to have made, et cetera, et cetera. So that process you know, has taken three years and um, now we're making other products. Because, you know, uh, uh, the lessons I've learned, but you know, just to give you an example, right, that first product took me kind of about three years to get to the supplier. And now I'm launching a second product with the same supplier within the next maybe six months. So the, you know, as a, uh, one of my old neighbors and a friend of mine told me, you know, the first time you do anything is the hardest. <laughs> the second time is just way easier. Like 
worlds easier. And that has proven to be true again and again. So one of the biggest lessons for me has been, you know, I wish I started earlier and I'd love to inspire other people to start earlier, which is one of the reasons why I do this build something initiative that I focus on as well. Yeah, absolutely. Well, well, honestly, that's like a perfect segue into my, my next question is, is the fact that as cool as this product is, you actually have like a much bigger mission behind you. And it's a two-part mission. Talk to me about, about that. Right. So, you know, the community of people is something that helped me just tremendously in AA and the, you know, the, the rehab community and getting sober. My family and other people who just supported me, aunts, uncles, and other investors in my, my product and business, uh, people who connected me with different connections, gave me advice for free, spoke to me on the phone. I mean, you know, I think it, once you start doing something, you realize how kind and generous other people are and how much they'll give you for free. It's just amazing. And you, and you just want to pay it forward. You want to do that for other people too. So, you know, this build something mission of mine, again, has two parts, as you mentioned. And the first part is to, to donate to rehabilitation centers and organizations that are helping people that are you know, homeless and getting off the street to have a program to get them back working and, you know, feeling productive about their lives. And so in order to do this, they need housing. So we're hoping to donate enough to, to build a housing center for this local organization uh, in town here called St. Matthew's House, which does just that. The second part of that is, is the Build Something initiative aims to inspire people to build stuff, to build something and create something for themselves because of just the great rewards that it brings not only for you, but for other people who get to help you and who get to see you progress and achieve these things. Something I've realized through listening to a lot of podcasts, honestly, is it's not this way in every country. <laughs> Actually, in America, you know, through selling at flea markets, I have been absolutely amazed with the people who have approached me and said, I want to support you because I love people shooting for the stars, reaching for their dreams, doing something about it. I want to support entrepreneurs. And let me tell you, that is not the way that it is in much of the world. There's uh, something called tall poppy syndrome in places like, you know, the UK and Australia where, you know, the, as it goes, you know, they want to chop you down somewhat, so, some people anyways, you know, when they think you're getting kind of above the herd. And that is not the way that it is in the United States. And, and I, I really appreciate that attitude because what I think happens is by elevating the individual, the best ideas are able to rise to the top. And so then what happens is society reaps the benefits of the beautiful ideas that the individuals have. So with the Build Something Initiative, you know, the, the long answer is, yeah, I want to help create a more level playing field for anybody who has a great idea to get their idea out there and to help it spread so that they can receive the benefits of the good idea that they had and other people can receive the benefits of that idea. Yeah. So that's what I hope we're able to do. Dude, I love that so much, so much. And, and I love your talk about the people, even at the local flea market, just wanting to support small entrepreneurs, people trying to, to 
to do something, inventing something. I mean, that's just encouraging in of itself because I think so many times we we watch the news and we think that everybody's out to get you. Nobody supports anybody. But when you actually get on the ground and you hear stories like that, where you talk about how supportive people are, I think that's just awesome. Absolutely. It's, it's not unique to America, but it is something that is prevalent in the American spirit is that support of the entrepreneur and of the individual. And that's what I have noticed from being out there is it has made me feel better about myself and about society and about just the type of people that are out there. And, you know, when I hear the, the divisive rhetoric in, in different places and I hear people agreeing with me on many things or, or, or not, I, you know, I, I try to say to them, look, people are not as far apart. We have more similarities than differences. And I, I truly believe that to be the truth. I mean, I, I think when, when you sit face to face with someone, you have a conversation at the end of the day, we all want the, you know, what's good for other people. I, I, I don't truly believe that people are evil. I don't believe that they want evil things from one another. I think at the end of the day, they're trying to do in their heart of hearts what they believe to be right. And I think that there are different reasons and, and ways to to get to that. And so I think hashing it out and having the discussion is is always the way to do it. Yeah, I love it so much. So, so Nick, where can we go not only to to purchase Cord Brick, but just keep up to date with you with this mission, what you're doing? Where's the best place for people to go? Yeah, my website, cordbrick.com, has all my social media links in the footer on the bottom of the page. So if you just go to cordbrick, C-O-R-D-B-R-I-C-K.com, you could sign up for my email list. And you know, my email list is really where I share the most intimate details with my followers. Uh, I only send about one email a month, and it's uh, not usually you know sales-based. But I'd love if they'd follow me on social media platforms at cordbrick, C-O-R-D-B-R-I-C-K. And can reach me through my website as well. Amazing, amazing. Dude, I'll be sure that all of those links for you are inside of the, the show notes or easy access for anybody anxious to to get a hold of you, to follow you, to buy cord brick. Dude, I want to thank you for for sharing your personal story, your entrepreneurial story. And most of all, can we just say it? No more finding the phone cord in the middle of the night. Thanks. To Nick. <laughs> uh, thanks so much, Kevin. And, and honestly, I just hearing your story when, when we connected has been really inspiring. I've been sharing it with other people. I can't wait to share this episode with, with my followers and your story too. And I, I hope we stay connected. Absolutely, man. I appreciate that so much. It means the world to me. For you listening, listen, I appreciate you just as much for it is you who makes this podcast possible. If you enjoyed today's episode, share it with a friend. Let the world know about Cord Brick, this new revolution idea that we no longer have to search for our phone cord in the middle of the night. Got to love some of that. It's the little things. That's what means the most. Get out there. Enjoy the day. This is Kevin Lowe with Grit, Grace, and Inspiration. <laughs>